I do think the spirit of freedom is alive and well in a lot of Americans. Uh, not a majority, but uh, at least a intolerant minority. I think Bitcoiners um, attract that, that intolerant minority and the freedom-loving crew. Um, and I, I have hope that we will freedom will prevail at the end of the day, and Bitcoin will be a strong tool at ensuring that. Um, but no, things are pretty fucked if you look around. This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit. Thanks for joining us here again on the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast. Today we're joined by Marty Bent. Marty has been involved in Bitcoin since 2013. He wears many hats in the space. He runs the Tales from the Crypt podcast. He is co-host of the Rabbit Hole Recap Weekly with Matt O'Dell. Marty also produces a daily newsletter called Marty's Bent, which is chock full of good information on a daily basis. Marty's a freedom maximalist by every measure. He is a genuine asset to the Bitcoin space. He has been involved in mining with Great American Mining, using stranded natural gas uh, to mine Bitcoin with wasted energy. More recently, Marty's been involved with 1031. 1031 is a venture capital group focused on investing in Bitcoin companies and infrastructure. Its name is derived from October 31st, which is the date that Satoshi released the Bitcoin white paper. Pretty cool name and a bit of trivia. With Marty, our conversation explores Bitcoin mining. We talk about what Bitcoin mining is, how it works, who it benefits, and how it provides security for the Bitcoin network. We also cover a bit of controversial ground, wondering aloud if we're as free as we believe we are in the U.S. today. We're constantly reminded how Bitcoin is a shining beacon of hope in a world that sometimes seems to be darkening. Here at BCB, we believe that there's a lot to be hopeful for about in the future and are especially heartened by the fact that Bitcoin exists and without it, the world would certainly be darker. Every facet of Bitcoin incentivizes human action so beautifully, we're just in constant awe of how this protocol works and the implications it has on the future. You can follow Marty on Twitter at Marty Bent. And don't forget to check out Tales from the Crypt and his newsletter, Marty's Bent. We'll keep all that stuff in the show notes for you. As always, you can follow us at blue underscore collar BTC on Twitter. And you can send us an email at Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast at Gmail. Enjoy. All views and language expressed by the hosts and guests in this podcast are solely their personal opinions and do not reflect their employers or organizations they are associated with. Do not treat any of the content in this podcast as investment advice or as an inducement to follow a particular strategy. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Marty Bent, welcome to the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast. How are you today? Doing well, Josh. Dan, thank you both for having me. I'm pumped to be here. It's a beautiful day in Austin, Texas, sitting in uh, my screen and porch. So I'm happy to see that you have some furniture. At least it seems, you appears that you're sitting in a chair. Yeah, Pierre Richard is not happy with me, uh, <laughs> but I but I did have to buy some furniture, including some chairs, multiple chairs, uh, but I had to repent by, by stacking sets. After each, after each furniture purchase, I try to make uh, a Bitcoin purchase to... <laughs> We, we were uh, talking with uh, Joe Carlosare this week. I don't know if you know who he is, but we were talking about how there's just like a gradient and there's different levels and definitions of a, of a Bitcoin maxi. <laughs> and, um, and, and 
he was saying like, by some definitions, I'm not because I'm I'm sitting in a chair and, and I have furniture in my living room. Yes, yes. Uh, P- Pierre would say that he's not in enough. He's he's short Bitcoin because <laughs> of chairs. Yeah. Are you so? Does Samantha live with you? Um, we saw you know her on. She was she was sending some hot thought pictures on Twitter, just drawing people in there. I didn't know if Samantha lives in the house with you or or where. If if you could get her on camera, we'd like to see her. Is Samantha my uh, my woman doppelganger? I or think my... so. Yeah, yeah. She's she seems she to be drawing live... a crowd on Twitter. She doesn't live with me. She lives in me. She's a part of me. <laughs> uh, we have like a doctor, Doctor Jackal, Mister Hyde, or Doctor Hyde, whatever. She's it is. she's quite the honeypot. We've noticed. Yeah, I would love. She's we'd love to talk a little bit about those DMs that you, that Samantha might've dragged in. Like what was the simpiest thing that you saw come at you? Just sending this to some Samantha stuff up on uh, Twitter. I don't know. There's a lot of horny Bitcoiners out there. Um, and if you're looking to stack sats, you, you get an AI generated picture of yourself turned into a woman. <laughs> uh, and, and the simps will hit you up hard. Were there people, did you, do you think that you could have procured some Bitcoin off of that ruse? Uh, you definitely can. Um, <laughs> this is not, a business model we're going to explore. Not that I would ever do this. I mean, but that, I mean, that's like scammers are are still everywhere hopping into DMs with Bitcoin addresses. Uh, and you check every once in a while. Somebody will like send me a Bitcoin address in my DMs, and I'm like, who's stupid enough to send sats this? And you go to check the address, and there's some sats in it. Maybe it's, it's the attackers themselves filling it up to to make it look like others have sent them sats, but uh, I yeah. think we could we we could make the argument that we take maximalism way beyond Pierre, and that you're not a maxi unless you're generating Twitter profiles of hot chicks and trying to rip people off of their Bitcoin. Like <laughs> you haven't demonstrated sufficient desperation for sats if you're not doing that. Well. I mean, he is part of the Nakamoto Institute, which has one of the most profound writings on this topic uh, to date, which is everyone's a scammer. So he should know. He should he should respect the hustle of the AI uh, generated women hopping into DMs. Uh, Marty, there's there's one thing I, I kind of want to get out of the way here uh, early, um, and that is generally we're um, we're circumspect, we're careful uh, in that we don't generally disrespect or deride our audience. But uh, in this really special case, on this special occasion with you on the show, uh, Josh and I will permit the usage of the word freaks. Um, <laughs> so you are you are hereby uh, allowed to refer to the blue collar Bitcoin audience as freaks, if, if you so choose or if the uh, the opportunity arises. I was gonna run with sick fucks, but I can I can run with freaks. That's fair too. Well. Maybe we'll brand that. You'll help us work into that branding. <laughs> so Marty, one blind spot that I have with your story is just how you got into Bitcoin. Could you just give us a quick synopsis? I'm really curious. What was the uh, tra- the path that you trailed? Um, yeah. So I was. It's the story starts in high school. Uh, I was 17 in the fall of 2008 and just happened to be taking an elective economics class uh, while the world was going to shit. Uh, And it was a very good time to be taking that class. My professor was very, um, very on top of things. I went to an all boys school and he was like, hey, gentlemen, this is uh, pretty messed up. Like you should 
tried to go to college to learn how this all works. So I, I went to college with a with a know your enemy mindset and studied economics and was wondering as a young a young lad like what the hell is going on with the financial system? Why did it get to the point that it did in the fall of two thousand eight and subsequent years? And uh, as I was studying economics in college and I was actually working at a managed futures fund as well. Uh, we index commodity trading advisors into a fund of funds. So as an analyst there, uh, managed futures funds, CTAs trade a lot of currency markets and I had to understand what was going on in currency markets. And so I followed a lot of uh, tea leaves of the Federal Reserve, Bank of Japan, Bank of England, uh, ECB, the whole nine yards. Uh, I was learning my learning to know my enemy and was uh, pretty skeptical that the way in which they were maintaining the global monetary system was uh, sustainable. And at the same time, probably around like mid to late 2013, was just perusing the internet. And I think I stumbled upon a story about the Silk Road and started doing research about Bitcoin and was like, oh, this makes sense to me. I think this is a, a viable alternative to uh the enemy I've been studying for years, if you will. And so I, I think for me personally, just due to my age and timing of uh, serendipitous economic classes and world financial crises, uh, I was I was receptive to the idea of Bitcoin uh, as soon as I stumbled upon it because uh, I, was, I feel like I was a young, young person looking for a solution in Bitcoin. Once I saw it, it seemed like, oh, wow, this, this may be it. Yeah. So just speaking about teaching kids about economics in school, I don't know if you saw this circulating yesterday on Twitter, but there's a, uh, it must have been a high school teacher who wanted to teach his class something about how socialism works. Did you see this? So he, I did. the kids in the class wanted to curve their grades on average, right? So we said, okay, well, we'll average the class and uh, everyone gets a B because the kids who did well had A's and kids who did shitty had C's and D's or whatever. So the incentivized, obviously the incentivization there was for the kids that studied to not study next time. The kids that didn't study studied even less. And the next average was like a C. And then a few weeks later, the whole class failed. And he failed his entire class to teach them about the way socialism works. And I thought, what a great, an incredible teacher to, to give the kids an actual understanding ground level of like exactly, exactly where this socialism idea leads in the long run, just complete failure and uh, I, yeah sorry it's just an aside because you talked about you know going through economics in school just popped in my head but incredible story we need more of these teachers um, yes teach hard lessons uh, most teachers are focused on great inflation so that they can they can keep their jobs and not actually teaching um but yeah hey it is a great lesson in socialism uh the the um, averaging of grades for a whole class. Yeah, incentives matter. Incentives yes, matter do. in all aspects of life. That they do. When did you transition, Marty, into the mining sphere? So when did when did uh, career change come into play after you you saw the light? Uh, so I was working at Barstool Sports, and um, was really into Bitcoin. Was writing the newsletter. Had the podcast. Uh, as I was at Barstool, uh, obviously I've been into Bitcoin for a while. At that point, it was 2017, 2018, and really wanted, I felt passionate about it and really wanted to dedicate 
myself to that. So like May of 2018, I believe, is when Great American Mining approached me um, and said, "Hey, we're we're thinking we're building this this mining company. Um, like, uh, we'd love to have you on." So I guess that's when I formally joined uh, the Great American Mining team. At the time, it was for their parent company, Buy Sell Ads. Um, but yeah, I guess that's when I started my foray. But it was a uh, it was a slow journey into figuring out. Uh, Great American Mining sort of niche use case and uh, way to to make their their path in the mining world. We are uh, we're stoked to get into mining. I think we're re- we're thirty episodes in to the podcast, and I think this is a bit of a hole. Um, so I think it's a priority for us today to work from. Uh, we're going to try for some bare bone basics, if you uh, will accommodate, just to explain to the audience uh, what mining is, mining first nodes, that sort of thing, and then get into some of what's happening in the energy markets. Cause it's, uh, it's fascinating to me as a, as an outsider looking in, uh, where I, where I think the future's headed with this. And, um, I think it's going to go from interesting to, uh, imperative for, uh, all these energy producers. So we're, we're, we're pumped to get into some of those, uh, details. Why don't you, why don't you start, if you don't mind, just what, what is, what is Bitcoin mining and, uh, and how does it play into the protocol and network? So, <laughs> so just go ahead and cover it top to bottom for us. We'll sit here for the next 30 minutes and listen. Yeah. So Bitcoin mining uh, does my, the way I would describe it does many things, right? Like helps you reach, most importantly, it helps you reach asynchronous consensus uh, between distributed players in a globally distributed network. And so the way it works, right, to the way Bitcoin's consensus mechanism works, it's a proof of work consensus mechanism that runs on a hash function called hashcash SHA-256, which is specific to the Bitcoin network. Uh, and uh, essentially what miners do is they have to prove that they do work, um, that they, they did something costly to, to add a block of transactions to the Bitcoin network and they have to prove that they did something costly because at the end uh, they get a reward. And on top of that, that reward that comes with the block, that block sits on a bunch of other blocks uh, and it sort of protects those blocks below them uh, by making it harder to, to rewrite their transaction history. Um, and so you have to prove that you did some work. So that's hard. It's, it, it proves that it's hard to rewrite that transaction history and then you get rewarded for that. That's like a little long-winded answer. What miners are really doing at the end of the day with that Hashcash SHA-256 mining algorithm, what they're doing is they're producing cryptographic hashes, trillions per second, uh, in, in the way that they're allowed to add blocks of transactions to the Bitcoin network is that they find a hash that is below the network difficulty target at any given point in time. So long story short, the miners are producing trillions of cryptographic hashes hashes per second until one finds a hash below the target and goes to the rest of the network like hey i have this hash it's below the target the rest of the network goes yes that is below the difficulty target you can add a block they gather uh and order transactions into that block broadcast that block to the network say hey here's my block let's start building on it uh and for adding that block if all the transactions in that block are playing by the consensus rules of the network. It gets added and that miner who found that hash uh, and produced that block gets rewarded with the, the 
block reward, which is a combination of the subsidy at any given point in time, which currently is 6.25 Bitcoin plus the fees associated with the transactions in that block. Um, and so what, what that does is the proof of work, uh, again, because Bitcoin has a, a 10 minute block uh, production target, uh, the, the proof of work in the globally distributed network actually makes sense. You can come to what's known as asynchronous consensus um, because of the latency between block the, the block target um, at 10 minutes. And uh, it, it basically provides the most fair way to contribute to this distributed monetary system. You have to produce, you have to do some work, which now in this day and age takes a lot of electricity. So you have a initial capex uh, expenditure so that you're proving that you have skin in the game um, so that you can participate in this network. Uh, you want it to be costly so that it's not cheap to rewrite the history of the ledger, um, which would render the ledger and Bitcoin, the asset sort of worthless at the end of the day. Right on. So I've done a little bit of studying the history of some of this stuff. And Adam Back, if I'm not incorrect, is the one who came up with this idea. And that was in the 90s, I think. To And his, I think originally this proof of work idea was in order to keep people from spamming email accounts. Correct? Correct. And so that was Hashcash. Um, and uh, yeah, so you, you had Hashcash if you wanted to s send an email to somebody at the produce a cryptographic hash. Um, before being able to send that email, you had to prove that you did some work. Satoshi uh, took that idea and iterated on it a bit. And he added what is known as the difficulty adjustment to that, uh, that proof of work uh, consensus mechanism, uh, which is actually, I would argue, like the special ingredient to Bitcoin that makes it go round. So we mentioned the difficulty target. Uh, that's what miners are producing a hash that is... Uh, they're looking for a hash below that difficulty target. That, diff that difficulty target changes every 2016 blocks or roughly two weeks, depending on how much computing power uh, has come on to or left the network. If more com computing power comes on and blocks are coming in quicker than 10 minutes, the difficulty gets harder by lowering the difficulty target. Uh, if blocks are coming in longer than 10 minutes, uh, the difficulty gets easier by increasing the difficulty target. Um, and I guess that was one of the problems with the original hash cache implementation is that didn't have that difficulty adjustment. So uh, it was as more bots or whatever uh, started using hash cache, it got easier to produce those hashes and essentially wasn't really too costly to send those emails. So to get into how and why this is security for Bitcoin, which is important for people to understand, what you're saying is, all of these, all of this electricity, all this capex, you need to buy special computers. You need to have, you know, very, very cheap electricity to be profitable on this. It makes it extremely difficult for an attacker to get on to get on there and cause an issue for Bitcoin because it would be so incredibly costly. I don't even know what it is. It, it's got to be hundreds of thousands of dollars in, per hour to to implement any kind of attack. So you can think about this like you would have to be gaining economic value much greater than costing yourself hundreds of thousands of dollars per hour to continue an attack long enough to do something actually negative to Bitcoin, which for just about anyone, but very, very maybe nation states at this point, like that's totally out the window. 
you know, I don't even argue for I uh, that I think it's out of the realm of possibility for nation states. And that's probably a bit controversial. People say never say never, but uh, when you take into consideration the capital requirements, the energy requirements, and the uh, hardware requirements to make it happen, uh, the logistics of lining up all three yeah. in, a, in an opportune time, uh, considering the in taking into consideration the like the competitive nature of the mining landscape right now yeah, and, and the global how, dispersion of the whole yeah. mining network. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think, I don't think like, I'm not worried about a 51% attack. Maybe I'm naive, maybe I'm gullible, but I think things are sufficiently distributed and the loose incentives are such that it really doesn't make even any sense to, um, attack the network via 51% attack unless you're trying to destroy it, which I don't think, I mean, nation states may try to do that, but again, I don't think they can line up. Are you are you here to tell us, Marty, that we have indeed crossed the Rubicon? We're waiting for that uh, confirmation from from you specifically. <laughs> um, I'm not. I mean, I can't confirm. <laughs> we'll only know in retrospect. I think we have, uh, and that may be controversial. But again, like if a nation state were to have attempted it, I mean, China had the golden opportunity. They sure did earlier this year uh, and they didn't do it and now that hash rates distributing even more geographically um and, and just as importantly like the asics are so scarce these days that people are are treating them like they're a piece of gold on on the pile of smog um it's, and they're not it's, it's gonna be hard to pry them out um Unless it's via confiscation, mass confiscation. And even at that point, if there is a mass confiscation, that would be like an alarm bell. It says, hey, Bitcoin could work. Somebody's Isn't it crazy to think about what a misstep the, the CCP made with that whole thing? Like if there are so many ways that they could have turned that to an advantage for themselves, but they literally just said, uh, mining's illegal, uh, pack everything up and ship it around the world and take all of this valuable, you know, all these valuable computer systems and send them abroad and we're just going to give up on this whole thing. Like they could have seized them all. They could have kept those things in their possession where they could have then taken the consideration to like, okay, are we going to use these for an attack or whatever we're going to do? The fact that they just said, fuck you guys, get out of the country, leave right now is so I think that is going to be looked back on as one of the biggest miscalculations geopolitically ever. Honestly. Yes, I do as well. Um, I think China's already, so I think they add context around the China kicking out the mining industry. It was right around their, the hundredth anniversary of the Chinese communist party. Uh, and the theme for this part this celebration of the hundredth anniversary was harmony. Uh, and I guess the CCP and their cronies deemed, uh, Bitcoin mining, uh, especially if it was siphoning electricity off from a grid that competed with, residential consumers of that electricity and you know, just cryptocurrency trading in general uh, were unharmonious activities uh, that they wanted to uh, sort of brush under the rug during these celebrations. And so the celebrations are over and it seems like they're uh, backtracking on, on the, on the ban, which is interesting, but again, it is a, what they did in uh, May and June. Like it's, shot yourself in the foot and I would argue there's no coming back from it because yeah no why would anybody invest in infrastructure 
um, and uh, an operation in China, knowing that at any moment they could cause a huge disruption that, that forces you to spend a shit ton of money to move all your equipment or sell it. Um, right. Not only that, but I mean, you could be disappeared at any moment. Like you just, yeah. you know, turned to, you blinked wrong at the CCP and suddenly you're, you're, you're gone for two months like Jack Ma and you pop up again and suddenly you change your tune, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, what, what happened, <clears throat> I'm still digesting what happened this year. I mean, we, we, we've been involved since 2017. So by comparison, we're noobs, but to think about, I mean, you could probably nail the stats specifically about what the hash rate went down 55% this year. I mean, the, the, the anti-fragility of this fucking Hydra is, is mind blowing when you understand the dynamics. I mean, this, this thing just gets its head severed and grows back into a more robust monster than it was six months prior. I mean, it's, it, it truly blows my mind what happened this year with China and what happened to, to, to hash rate so quickly. I mean, we're already back up. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's beautiful. And it's very underscored too. Uh, we're not underscored, understated. Uh, this was, I would argue, like probably like a top three stress test of the network and it's, 13 year existence, um, almost 13 year existence so far. I mean, you obviously had the Segwit and the Fork Wars. Um, then you just had the early days of uh, it being able to be killed, killed in the uh, in the cradle. Um, luckily, it wasn't. And then this was honestly like just a huge stress test, not only of the network, like uh, would the network be okay with 15, 16 minute blocks? It was the difficulty adjustment worked beautifully. And then um, the, uh, like loose incentives around it. Like you, like you ha have 55 to 60% of the hash rate unplugged at once. And, you know, just seeing the free market globally, Chinese miners involved, Western miners involved, European, Latin American quickly react to accommodate the, the migration of that hash rate is extremely impressive. So like the network at the technical level, reacted just as one would expect and it reacted beautifully. And there was the only disruption to transaction processing was a, was a bit of a slowdown for a short period of time. And then the social layer of it, the, the market layer of it reacted beautifully. And just by pure incentives, people around the world creating substations, uh, finding excess capacity of electricity um, at utilities companies, off-grid, on-grid, um, and, and actually having those miners be able to be unplugged and then some of them were plugged in within weeks, most as we're seeing, uh, within half a year, uh, which is, which is very impressive. I'm assuming uh, great American mining did okay during this, uh, time period. I mean, this was a, this was an opportunity for you guys, at least for a number of months when, when hash rate was thrust to these lows because of this move by the CCP. Yes. Um, the, when the difficult, I mean, if you were a miner that was up and hashing as those, the difficulty was adjusting downward, I believe there was like five or six, uh, consecutive downward adjustments. I mean, that was, if you were able to be plugged in and having, uh, a static level of hash rate or even a growing level of hash rate uh, throughout the summer, which great American mining did, um, you were, you were mining very profitably. You were you were stacking more sats than you would have if that ban did not happen, which is another beauty of the network, like and mm -hmm. uh, and probably a highlight of 
not that we were at any political risk here in the U.S. at Great American Mining, but um, in the future, if the U.S. were ever to do that, it would be much harder to to have uh, an operator off-grid like Great American Mine to unplug. So, Marty, Dan and I have been talking about this between each other for maybe a week now. We like to try to steel man our position on things, but if you had to come up with a scenario, like worst-case scenario, what could you conjure up that could potentially kill this project? Can you think of a way that that could happen? Easy questions for you today, yeah. Marty. Very easy. Quick, quick answers. I mean, they're starting to gear it up. It would be the combination of a social attack, which is beginning to happening, uh, beginning to happen, excuse me, you have um, many in the uh, political arena here in the U.S. trying to paint Bitcoin in a bad light, uh, whether it be the impetus for Bitcoin uh, caused the crash. Yeah, destabilization of the U.S. dollar and the financial system at large. Uh, you're, you're beginning to hear the likes of Hillary Clinton and others uh, ring alarm bells about this. Again, it's for, nothing's further from the truth, but the propaganda arm of uh, the mainstream media and the incumbent kleptocratic elite is very strong and persuasive for the, uh, the, the masses who tend to just take what's fed to them and, and run with it. Um, so that can be a very strong headwind and you combine that um, with like internet distress. I don't know. Like it's hard. I'm trying to think now. I'm like thinking on the go. Um, I mean, this is, this is the road to uh, catastrophic bullishness. I mean, we, yeah. we, we've tried for, we've been trying for years now to think through think, viable, practical ways in which this implodes and that they, decrease in number the more you exercise your brain yeah because i mean it's a globally distributed market and you'd have to have global coordination which is literally impossible you're never going to get that um so yeah, yeah i think so at this point i think the worst that can be done is just in a social attack that slows down adoption again and it's not going to kill bitcoin we're probably i mean there's a, a good chance we're going to be maligned by the mainstream and and treated as enemies of the states and all that but that's why i do my podcast uh to get out in front of this part of the reason why i do it to get out in front of it and put out better narratives like win the narrative battle i think bitcoin's going to win the narrative battle yeah um, especially but, with just the the amount of intellectual capacity or brain power that is behind this whole movement is staggering i mean you see everyone from you know alex gladstein's awesome epic pieces to listening to you guys at TFTC and everyone in the middle there's we, we just spoke to you know we've spoken to lawyers we've spoken to finance people I mean all kinds of different people and everyone is aligned in their understanding of this and everyone's putting out their signal in their own way and the whole um, spectrum of people that listen to this one one place on the spectrum or another they're going to connect with somebody who kind of puts it in words that they can understand you know, and then that's kind of like what we're trying to do here with this is kind of connect with just blue collar people in general who are just getting murdered these days. They have no idea why, but they're taking a bath and they're pissed. And this is just uh, some way that we can we can at least try to help those people out in the, the cohort that we work with and people in the same mindset. Yeah, for, for us, this. uh our viewpoints and the podcaster are born out of real life practicality. Like 
we we have people that are whether we like it or not leaning on us for advice in this space and this is why like shit coins aren't a joke to us like we're, we're part of a demographic that just doesn't have money to piss into the wind like and and we know real people we have actual relationship with folks that are aping into totally <laughs> illiquid shit coins. like th- this is this is not a joke when you're a when you're a fireman there's not a ton of money to waste so i think we're just you know, we're, we're passionate about educating, educating and informing about what the actual innovations are here. Um, and I'm going to segue this into a, into a question, which is, you know, we've talked about mining and, and proof of work and there's so many awe-inspiring components to Bitcoin, but proof of work and difficulty adjustment definitely stand out to us about what really makes this a truly unique once in a species discovery. And proof of work is at the core of decentralization. It's at the core of what allows for rulers, for rules without rulers. Um, and we don't think proof of stake or any of these other projects can say anything close to that. And I, and I want, is another just hard, hard question for you to summarize quickly, but what makes proof of work so unique and so much different than proof of stake or other ways to reach consensus on a protocol? I, mean, I don't think it's hard to answer. I think what it really comes down to is there's execution risk in proof of work that doesn't exist in proof of stake. Uh, and executing in proof of work uh, is labor and energy intensive, whereas proof of stake, it's, it's, it's nothing. You literally just send a bunch of tokens to a wallet and, <laughs> and you stake. Uh, and so like the proof of work is... It's literally, you, know, you have to prove that you did work. You have to have skin in the game. You have to, like, just putting it most simply, you have to have skin in the game. You have to do things that are productive and, and actually add value to the network or proof of stake. Um, really, none of that is involved. Uh, I mean, the only skin in the game is using capital to acquire tokens that you then use to exert power over the network um, and proof of work. Like, you're, you, when I say there's execution risk, there's literally execution risk at every second that you're attempting to contribute to the proof of work mechanism. You have to make sure that your ASIC's up and running. That comes with cost. Um, you have to make sure that you're uh, playing within the rules, the consensus mechanism at any given point in time, the consensus rules of the protocol, excuse me. Uh, if you're not, you're, you're losing money, you're expending energy, and you're, you're not going to get a reward for that if you mess up there. Um, and so there's very high risk and a very high incentive to to protect the, the network. And then beyond that, uh, it's much more open. Uh, like even if you're a miner running one ASIC, you are contributing to the consensus of the network. It's very, it's not outside the realm of possibility to be running one ASIC and to actually like find the hash that allows you to add a block. Um, it could take a while, um, but like... Quite a while. <laughs> you could add to that consensus um, permissionlessly and it's more open. You just got to acquire an ASIC and plug it into a wall, figure out how to plug it into a wall and point that hash um, towards the network or towards a mining pool um, that you want to contribute to and proof of stake. Yeah. It's just, it's the system controlled by the rich that we're running away from those with more influence in the, via the accumulation of wealth um, our particular stake in, in a protocol uh, can can dictate what happens on that protocol. Yeah. Um, or proof of, proof of work, like even if you're a miner with a 
insane amount of hash rate and you accumulate a lot of Bitcoin, doesn't matter how much Bitcoin you accumulate. If you're not playing within consensus rules, there's, there's nothing you can do to change it. Marty, if, if somebody was asking you for advice and they had, well, let's just say 50 grand, right? And they were thinking about, well, should I just buy some Bitcoin or should I buy some ASIC miners and mine Bitcoin? Because it's kind of sort of like dollar cost averaging your way in over a longer period of time. What do you think you're, how, do you, how would you approach that kind of a question for people that are thinking about that? I mean, it would default to just statistically, it's probably better for you to just buy Bitcoin. <laughs> um, yeah. If you if your goal is to stack as many sats as possible. Again, like I said, it comes with a lot of execution risk. And so if you're not aware of that execution risk and if you're not capable of executing, it, it would be a waste of sats to, to get into mining instead of just buying Bitcoin spot and holding it um, at any given point in time. Uh, yeah, like it, there's many variables that go into actually mining profitably that you, you'd have to consider. Um, you need cheaper electricity. Right now, it's very profitable. Like S S9s running Brains OS are profitable at something like 16 cents a kilowatt hour right now. Really, been phenomenally, yeah. Holy cow! Um, uh, so you but that's be able tip to- of this. That's tip of the spear stuff, right? The very few people have at present day, correct? No, I mean, you can get S9s from Brains OS Plus on them. Uh, and if you, I mean, residential electricity is like 11 cents right now or something like that. Most places yeah. I believe. I'm paying US. 10 cents where I'm yeah. at. Yeah, so you can mine profitably uh, with an S9 in your house right now if you wanted to. Um, but again, this is a long-term game. Uh, who knows what the Bitcoin price is going to do? Who knows what hash rate is going to do? Um, so if you're unable to execute at a very high level over the course of many years, um, it probably makes more sense to buy Bitcoin as opposed to mine it. But again, there's different reasons to do it. Some people want to mine for the for the ability to acquire Bitcoin in a uh, a way that is uh, less invasive of your privacy. Uh, you don't have to give up too much information other than email address to a mining pool. Um, and so you're able to acquire sats outside the purview of the KYC AML um, compliance system. And maybe you have a premium uh, on the value of, of sats acquired that way in your mind. Um, so there's reason again, straight offs is personal for everybody. I, I, I think, I mean, make sure you stack enough Bitcoin. Then I, I would encourage everybody to experiment with mining to actually just like buy a miner, maybe buy an S nine or something on the cheaper end and just figure out how it works um, just to get a better understanding of Bitcoin, like plug it in, uh, understand how to turn it on and start producing hashes and then point those hashes at a mining pool. You know, I think that'll help you come to some aha moments of, oh shit, this is how it works. And we'll give you more confidence in, in Bitcoin, the network. And then maybe, yeah, maybe you experiment with that, uh, and you, you get become fascinated with it and you, you find that you can actually execute on that and then you can get into it. Yeah. I mean, it is, if you can execute, um, there and execute well, paying a very small amount for electricity it could be very profitable but again i I just want out of an abundance of caution to to make sure the audience understands there there is execution risk with this stuff um like for instance the electrical infrastructure necessary to actually plug them in you can't just like 
get an M30S and plug it into a wall at your house right now. Right. You need to get yeah. Very, yeah, you very need some high power. Yeah, you need to get very particular infrastructure in place to even do that. So like you could be out there listening, like, oh, I'm gonna buy an ASIC and plug it into my garage. Like that. No, you can't do that. You need to go spend money to um to to make it so that your power supplies can actually plug into your wall. Yeah, unplug that hot tub and plug in that ASIC. Yeah. <laughs> or you could have that, that hot tub powered by ASICs from uh, some of the shit I'm seeing on Twitter lately. It seems yeah, spot 256. Pretty sweet. Shit, we Kevin need one of those Pope. at the firehouse. Yeah, we <laughs> need one for sure. We we went through uh, an exercise earlier this year, uh, Josh and I, where we did some we did some math, some calculations about whether the two of us should go in on the uh, the compass package that they had. <clears throat> I think you could buy six A six and. Uh, I'm not sure whether our math will play out in our favor or not, but we did decide that it just made more sense to buy more spot Bitcoin given our uh, current situation. And I think what stood out to us is just the, the, our inability to predict where hash is going. And uh, I think there were some, there's some projections that scare us a little bit that this thing could escalate uh, beyond our expectation. Um, And and it it was appetizing at the moment we were looking at it because of uh, what had happened in China. But uh, these things weren't going to come online until 2022. And we just decided to to buy spot. But I love I love your point, Marty. Like we we talk on the show all the time, like you need to experiment, like spin up a node, explore, uh, move small amounts of Bitcoin, get to know what's going on. And I, I, I honestly I'll be honest, I personally haven't really thought of it from the mining perspective, like. We're, we're big enough nerds. We're into this enough that even if it's not economically advantageous, like the idea of buying an old miner and, and doing some hash and pointing it at the, at the, at the network. Uh, I'm going to be honest that, uh, has some blood flowing to the, uh, lower regions here. Uh, <laughs> I, I love that idea. Hard mining talk. It's I gotta, uh, it's fun. I talk. gotta admit something that I'm not very proud of. I've got a little gaming computer over here. And it, I haven't played games on it in like a year, but it's been. You, are you sure you want to tell Marty this, dude? He <laughs> could just. This could end the I conversation. Just hear, Josh. I want to see him just exit immediately. I'm mining shit coins with nice hash, and the thing's making me like four thousand sats a day at this point. Yeah, like I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not taking I'm not gonna that. shib over here. Again, everyone's a scammer. You got to get his sats <laughs> anyway. He's out there sliding in the DMs. You, I think pointing GPUs at nice hash is uh, is a bit closer to the middle of the spectrum of shit coinery than uh than it I is see. a little closer than i've been in years but i'm not gonna look i'm not gonna look the other way when four thousand sats a day are just what about yeah. what, what else is this thing gonna do sit here and collect dust it's gonna make yeah. me four thousand sats a day it's you know when we get the sat sat sent parody that's um hmm. it's gonna be like a material amount of money it is i think it will be it's already paid for itself in less than a year the whole computer yeah. that's great yeah so Mr. Bent, um, these things. Mr. Bent, why don't we, uh, I want to, I, I want to spend some time talking about, uh, great American mining and, uh, what you're doing. Why don't you fill these, uh, this, these freaks in, uh, these sick fucks in on, uh, what, what you do, uh, what great American mining does. And then, and then we'll kind of parlay that into some of the imp- implications for, uh, energy producers and, and what the future might hold there. Yes, I will do that do this, but I, I should caveat with, I actually have recently have, uh, stepped, uh, away from great American mind to join 1031 as a venture partner. Um, I'm very, still very close to the great American mining team, uh, and 
supporting what they do. I, I technically do not work for them anymore. However, what Great American Mining is, uh, so as a Bitcoin miner, like I, I said in my my long-winded answer to should you get into mining or not, it, you want to find the lowest cost of electricity possible. And so at Great American Mining, as we were on our journey to find low-cost energy, well, basically what happened is we stumbled into uh, the oil and gas industry and we stumbled in the oil and gas industry because in the oil and gas industry, if some of you aren't aware, there's, there's a, a lot of ways, particularly upstream on the well pad where the, the oil and gas is extracted. Uh, if you don't have pipeline infrastructure, uh, specifically for your natural gas to get it from upstream to midstream and eventually to market what, what these producers have to do in a lot of areas is, uh, flare that gas so literally sets it on fire waste it um and, and combust it on site and let the co2 fly into the atmosphere um, because it when combust if it's not combusted it's just pure methane going to the atmosphere and the uh, the climate hysterics don't like methane um and it, it is very wasteful and so what, what, what we did at great american mining is we said oh wow like you guys are just wasting this energy this natural gas what if we were to show up on site, uh, if you don't have pipeline infrastructure, instead of you trying to get that molecule to market, we'll bring the market to you, a liquid uh, market that can help you monetize your your natural gas on site in the form of, of Bitcoin mining. So what we do, uh, and this is, again, driven by the economic incentive of Great American Mining to drive their all in electricity costs as low as possible. So we're able to show up uh, right now, uh, natural gas, prices spot at like NYMEX and, and Henry Hub, I believe they're around like five or six dollars. I haven't checked um, this week. Uh, uh, the strand of gas upstream that was otherwise being flare instead of paying five to seven dollars, wherever the range of natural gas prices are right now, you, you can literally pay like half a dollar to 80 cents. Say, hey, I'll pay you 80 cents in MCF for this gas that you're wasting, you're going to be happy because you're reducing your flare, um, which, which puts you in a better light, uh, of the regulators. And on top of that, you're getting a bit of revenue, um, for that gas, which you otherwise were spending money to combust. Um, and then for us, we're able to mine Bitcoin cheaply. Um, and so we're able to bring generators on site, pipe that gas from the flare stack from where it would excuse me, instead of the flare stack to the generator, produce electricity on site and then use that electricity to power miners, um, which are then using either satellite or cellular internet to uh, send hashes to to slush pool. Um, I'm curious so, what, sorry to interrupt. What was, did you guys, and I'm sure somebody did the math you had to have, what was the kilowatt hour you were, by the time that all went through the system and you actually mined Bitcoin, what were you paying roughly per kilowatt hour for that kind of... Well, it depends. Um, I don't think uh, they'd be comfortable with me saying exact numbers, but I will say there's uh, you can get it as low if you own a lot of the infrastructure, um, particularly the generators. So that the again the the power generation is the lion's share of um, the the all-in electricity cost, and so it really depends on if you lease or own your generators. Um, if you lease them, uh, it's going to be a bit more expensive, probably in like the three to three and a half cent range. Uh, but if you own them, you can cut, uh, I believe like a, a penny off your all in. So you can get from wow. Wow. Like two, that, two and a, wow. How in the world is, is everybody just not 
doubling down on this. Like yeah. you guys must have seen competition increase significantly, no? Yeah, it's been a uh, very uh, interesting to watch unfold over the last two years. Particularly, I was actually in Houston last night at a Bitcoin meetup, and the Houston Bitcoin meetup is very energy focused and oil and gas focused as well. So I've been that's, that was my second time there. I was there in August uh, and last night. Uh, there's a ton of oil and gas folks that are interested in this. So it's it's happening slowly. I think it'll it'll be one of those gradually and suddenly yeah. things. There's a lot of rumblings through the grapevine that there are big oil and gas companies already doing it. They just don't want to be public about it because they're worried about um, how shareholders may view it, how the ESG bullshit mm-hmm. narrative may view it. Um, but it, again, it is so obvious to take these previously wasted minerals and turn them into something uh, profitable in the form of Bitcoin mining. Like it's a no brainer. And yeah, I can only imagine how cheap it must be for that. If if you guys were able to get it at, you know, those prices directly from them. I mean, my God, they're, they're paying almost nothing by the time they have their CapEx all figured out. It's, it's a no brainer. When you conceptualize what's happening here, you realize that it is just purely, semantic and stupid friction that's in their way it's or a lack of understanding because who in the fuck is gonna say no to this i mean if i understand this this business model appropriately you're literally knocking on their door and saying hello sir um would you like free money from shit that you waste anyways and on top of that we're going to i'm based on the way i understand this dynamic from having listened to you like when you uh, take this flared that the gas that they would be flaring, like their uptime also increases. I mean, this is just a win, win, win scenario for every single producer. Correct. Yes. What you were, Dan was describing there at the end, it, it allows you to keep your uptime. Um, so great American mining, we, we played a regulatory arbitrage game too. Um, particularly in, in the Bakken in North Dakota, North Dakota has some of the more strict, uh, flaring regulations in the country. So if a producer flares a certain amount of gas, they have to shut down uh, their production on site of everything. So that includes their oil um, and oil is their bread and butter. And so they're highly incentivized to reduce their flare as, as much as possible. So that they never get close to having to just shut down their operations uh, due to flaring too much. Um, and so, yeah, we're not only able to produce a positive revenue stream that was that was previously a drag on the balance sheet, but we're able to uh, strengthen uh, the the main revenue stream of the business, which is getting oil to market um, by by creating less shutdown risk for for these companies in North Dakota specifically. Here in Texas, uh, up to date, they don't really care as much about flaring, but uh, there there's actually some regulation in the pipeline, I believe, down here to to reduce flaring as well. So it seems like it's a trend that'll continue to increase uh, across the country, uh, and Bitcoin mining solves this specifically. Solves yeah. this. I mean, it was just it. It solves this. I mean, wh- wh- where where do you think this is is going with energy? I mean, it, it seems pretty clear that this is going to be uh, the game theory is going to provide just irresistible monetary optionality for for pretty much any and all energy producers in the future. I mean, is that kind of how you see it or what's your, what's your thought on where this is going to go in the, in the 21st century with, with Bitcoin? 
Yeah. So my thesis is that energy producers are going to be the largest miners in the world. Um, again, they're going to vertically integrate. It's, uh, I think, I think there's probably a transitionary period where like you know, the miners of the world, the great American miners, uh, upstream, Crusoe, all these companies, we just play a like, sort of a stepping stone uh, role toward these energy producers and just yeah. consuming and creating internal mining operations. Again, like you mentioned, Dan, like they have the highest incentive because they will be able to produce the lowest cost of electricity because they have access and ownership over the yeah. energy, which is the base of that electricity. And so over time, uh, energy producers are begun to become the largest miners. And the way I pitch it to oil and gas folks is actually gets them jacked up. Uh, what you're essentially seeing is the beginnings of a process by which energy companies, agnostic to source, whether it be oil and gas, nuclear, uh, wind, solar, hydro, geothermal, uh, are replacing the Federal Reserve window. So they will be <laughs> quasi-central banks of the future where they're going to replace the Fed, the ECB, BOJ, central banks as we know them. Uh, but a bit of a caveat here, they're never going to be able to like set monetary policy on the Bitcoin network or manipulate or target interest rates associated with Bitcoin. Again, they're replacing the Fed window, which is the base from which uh, money uh, gets to the market. Uh, uh, right now, you have the Fed window and then you have the primary dealers who have access to that window. And that's a very short list of privileged uh, companies, mainly banks and um and other types of financial institutions as we transition to a bitcoin standard and energy companies become the largest miners in the world because they are most incentivized and uh well positioned to take advantage of low-cost electricity production um they are going to become again the new fed window uh they'll get to a certain scale they'll be able to have mining pools uh and on top of, so they're going to vertically integrate. So there's going to be minerals, uh, and you'll have electricity production infrastructure, and then you'll have mining infrastructure, and you'll have mining pool software infrastructure on top of that. And then on top of that mining pool software infrastructure, that's where financial services will begin to sprout. Um, so energy companies are going to become these vertically integrated energy producers and I think banking services in the future. Um, they'll offer derivatives on top of their mining pools and then uh, stuff like forwards contracts and collateralized lending and stuff like that. Um, this is my thesis, at least. Uh, and then it doesn't sound like you put much thought into this at all. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I uh, and yeah, so they're going to replace the Fed window, and it's going to be beautiful because what they do instead of right now, where you have the Federal Reserve, then you have their window and their primary dealers who have access to that window, and this is where the Kantian effect sort of emanates from. Is is, is the Fed window and who has access to that window. And again, it's a very select few individuals in, in the current uh, design of our monetary system. There's a select few individuals benefit unduly uh, due to the proximity they have to that window, the access they have to that window. As energy companies replace this uh, with mining pools, it, it really opens up the Fed window, number one, globally and two, and numerous amounts of, of players where it's much fairer. And again, these players have execution risk. And so the incentives for them to uh, 
play within the rules of the Bitcoin network and then add value added services on top of that uh, that actually benefit society are, are much higher than the incentives of, of the Fed window and how it works now. I wonder I wonder if um, the the price of Bitcoin or this this network effect could grow quickly enough to where the energy companies are not necessarily the ones that kind of take over Bitcoin mining. What if the Bitcoin miners take over the energy companies? Like, what if this kind yes. of happens in the opposite way? It could. Um, I don't think it will, though. Um, yeah, I think the energy companies, number one, have, have a lot of capital, uh, both in the form of financial capital and intellectual capital. Like, oil and gas has some of the smartest engineers uh, in the world working mm. in the industry. Um, I think, put simply, I think it's much easier for an energy producer to figure out Bitcoin mining than it would be for a Bitcoin miner to figure out energy extraction and delivery to market. I, I was, I was going to say, uh, to summarize what, what you just outlined, the way I would translate it is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, it's going to be extremely difficult to nestle up to the teat unless you are the fittest piglet on the free market. Is, is essentially what uh, Marty Bent just explained to the freaks. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. The the trough is getting smaller. Be a be a fit piglet. Yeah. Got to get strong to get to that teat. Mm-hmm. Um. There's many things. Yeah. This is uh such a fascinating subject. The mining rabbit hole in and of itself is is infinitely deep. And it'll it'll be interesting. I, I, what I just laid out is a thesis. This is how I this is what I believe and uh, how I see things playing out. Will it come true? Who knows? There's a likelihood that it doesn't. Or not likelihood. There's a probability that it doesn't. Um, I have a very strong hunch it will play out that way. Um, but yeah, I think uh, it's an exciting time, and it's no matter. How it happens, whether it's miners taking over energy or energy is taking over miners, like net net, it's uh, an incredible thing for humanity. Like at the end of the day, whether it's the yeah. miners or the energy companies figuring out, you're going to figure out how to be as efficient as possible with the energy we are pulling out of the ground and turning into electricity, um, and and we're going to create more more energy, which. Uh, is is a beautiful thing for humanity as well. Increased energy production correlates very tightly with uh, quality of life and, and human flourishing yeah. over time. There's going to be more milk for the piglets, and then it's going to be dispersed much more equitably. Marty. Yes, we're, we're adding more teats to it. To them, to <laughs> we're adding more teats. That's what we'll take away uh, from all this. Let's uh, let's talk about ten thirty one. Uh, I knew you, we knew you had transitioned there. Um, we did not know that's where you've pointed all of your hash, your personal, uh, your personal hash at uh, 1031. Um, talk to us about that transition and then uh, what, what uh, you're doing there. Yeah. So I wouldn't say all my, ha- I, so I guess back up. Yeah, this small thing called TFTC too. The, uh, that requires yeah. just a, a couple hours a week. So, so my, my goal uh, stepping into the Bitcoin space publicly um, has always been to try to help out where I believe Bitcoin needs help with TFTC, with the newsletter and the the podcast. Uh, I I thought there was a a lack of quality information or approachable information. There was a lot of high quality information. Uh, whether or not it was approachable is debatable to many people. Um, I, I I thought there could have been 
more approachable content mediums for for Bitcoin education. That's why I created the newsletter and the podcast to try to bring that to market. Um, and then when Great American Mining approached me, I was very excited to join them because that's another area that I believe Bitcoin needed help with, which is the further geographic distribution of hash rate production and uh it grew into uh, helping fight the the Bitcoin energy FUD narrative battle that has been developing for for about a decade now. Um, and similarly with 1031, um, I think Greater American Mining is in a great spot, and um, there's been significant distribution of hash rate over the three year period that I worked there, and I think we've done a good job of. Uh, establishing a very strong narrative against the energy FUD as Bitcoiners. And so, the, again, in my journey to always help push Bitcoin forward, I was like, all right, where, what else needs help? And, and for me personally, uh, I know you guys mentioned shitcoinery, and it's one of your uh, biggest goals is helping your audience avoid all of that. And um, it's hard when you consider the amount of capital that is dedicated to um, pushing shitcoinery on the world. Uh, they've got a very high marketing budget and comparatively um, like shitcoin funds, uh, the amount of capital they've raised, even considering the fact that they only make up like 53% of the overall cryptocurrency market cap, while Bitcoin makes up 47% of it overall, at least last I checked. Um, the, the amount of capital that's been raised dedicated to building out shitcoin infrastructure is about an order, if not orders of magnitude higher than the amount of capital that's been raised to, to invest specifically in Bitcoin infrastructure. And so considering that, um, uh, I believe that there is a, a, a lack of, of quality funding vehicles for Bitcoin focused infrastructure. And I'd like to help push that ball forward in, in 1031 um, is, is the way in which I'm going to do that. Um, and I think I'm very, um, it's going to be uh, a very uh, exciting endeavor. And I think, uh, or I hope at least that we're, that we're able to put a material dent, um, in, in the disconnection, uh, between the, the amount of capital dedicated towards Bitcoin compared to the shitcoin world. Mm. What, uh, can you share anything about what, uh, what you're up to there. I mean, if you can't, that's fair, but what, uh, what's exciting that what, what stones are you turning over or projects are you guys thinking about there that, that have you most amped right now? Yeah. I'm not sure if, um, I can talk about anything we have, um, in our pipeline in terms of future investments, but I mean, I, I can certainly talk about portfolio companies that are already invested in, um, and more broadly, I, I think, what excites me about it is again, I think also like as a venture fund, um, I think 1031 and similar funds like it out there who are, who are focused on deploying capital for Bitcoin only companies, there's actually an advantage from an investor standpoint, because a lot of the, the hardcore Bitcoin companies that are, that are looking to raise money, they don't want the A16Zs on their cap table. They don't want, um, investors uh, and advisors uh, uh, involved with their companies that are, they feel are going to pressure them to go down the path of shitcoinery. Um, and so I'm excited because it's going to uh, allow me in 1031 to work with individuals and uh, teams that are building out uh, quality infrastructure 
for Bitcoin that are that are philosophically aligned. Um, and I'm very excited about that. And there's a lot going on, uh, whether it be in the mining world, uh, on the Lightning Network, and on financial services. So um, I disclaimer, sponsor my podcast, but also a 1031 portfolio company, Unchained Capital. I mean, that's an example of a company that um, we've invested in, uh, in multiple rounds. And that's because we believe that they are um, they are approaching Bitcoin financial services in the correct way, particularly around uh, private key management and ensuring that their users uh, have uh, control of their Bitcoin via their collaborative custody model uh, with their two or three multi-sig. They really realize that Bitcoin is super collateral uh, in a world that is in desperate need of, of good collateral. And they're building products around that uh, that allow Bitcoiners to leverage their sats to to uh, either go get loans or or um uh, like put into an ira as well um we've invested in companies like samurai wallet uh which uh are providing privacy tools for bitcoiners which we think is important um so yeah we're and we've invested in some mining companies giga energy um based out of here in texas they're doing something similar to great American mining with, uh, uh, off grid gas. Um, and yeah, so that, those are, we're looking to support again, the individuals and teams building out the critical infrastructure for Bitcoin. Um, and, and we believe that if these teams are supported and they're building out this infrastructure at the end of the day, it's going to drive value back into the network overall. Um, so we think it's a great way to, to help push, uh, hyper Bitcoinization forward as well. Mm. Yeah, we couldn't agree more with your. Uh, we're big uh, Unchained and Samurai fans, but uh, we've both gone down the path of setting up vaults with Unchained, and uh, Josh and I are in alignment that it's a, an incredible solution for a lot of people that want sovereignty but are a little bit overwhelmed with uh, with the true multi. I mean, it's still it's a true multi sig, but those that uh, want a little bit of hand holding, what a great product! You should um, start there, but you should. You should definitely run your own node and learn how to use Sparrow or Spectre or any of those. I highly recommend that. Certainly. Yeah, that's a, I think that's another thing to realize. There's a spectrum of this. Like I have my yes. stack where mm-hmm. I have my node connected to my sovereign setup where I keep some sats um, outside of my house, of course. Uh, but then I, I do it. Like I have had to let, use Unchained's loan desk um, it's take out a loan using SATs and it was flawless. And I hold a key in that at two or three multi-sig quorum so I can make sure that my SATs are in the multi-sig wallet that they say it is. And it is. Um, and then beyond that, like I, for me personally, as a father, uh, even though I'm a hardcore Bitcoin or two, like I, I, I uh, am very much looking forward to obviously Unchain's gotten into the IRA services and I've talked with Drew and Joe and Parker. Like I think, you're going to get more into estate planning as well. And um, somebody who's a father and wants to hand down my sats to my children. That is so needed. A, a dedicated yes. service for that um, is something I would, I would certainly use and leverage. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think they're doing it the right way. Um, not only is 1031 invested in Unchained, but I consider uh, the team, a lot of the team members there, very good friends, Drew. Joe and Parker um, are doing incredible things. They're good Bitcoiners. They're good people. Uh, they're good fathers. And they're 
or actually only Joe's a father, but they're good people. Marty, before we go, we always, Dan and I try to avoid hyperbole as much as possible, but you know, we can't help ourselves sometimes. What's your price prediction for huh. end of the year? Gotta, I don't gotta know. put you on the spot here. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe 75, maybe. I don't know. I don't like price predictions. Um, we love to put people on the spot on this. They only make you look bad uh, unless yeah. you, unless you nail it. Uh, I don't know. Higher than here. I think. Yeah. I think that's fair. I would imagine we'd be higher than 56,000. We're going to call this episode Marty Bent predicts 200,000 end of December. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It'll, it'll be our uh, highest listened to episode for sure. It'll usurp everything else. (laughs) Um, Wait, we got to actually, I got one more. There's this guy. um, We put, you know, ask people for questions and there's this dude, some guy on Twitter. I think it's like Matt Odell or something like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. He uh, he was asking if we live in a free country. As a troll, that's what he wanted uh, us to ask you. Do do we live in a free country, Marty Bent? It's up. To, I don't know. It's up for the people to decide. Are they going to take their freedom? Right now, no. It doesn't seem like it. It's up to uh, the sick fucks what they're going to do. Yeah. Oh oh. On that same note, is Texas the best place to be when this whole country balkanizes? What do you think? I mean, I hope so because this is where I am and where I live. <laughs> I don't know. Again. It's heavy stuff. We're not. Yeah. We don't live in a free. Uh, well, we don't live in a free country. Uh, spectrums of decentralization. Spectrums of freedom. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to put it in the context of the, the freedom that we had when the founding fathers were around, we're nowhere near that. Uh, we're only getting further away from it. I came to Texas. Uh, silver lining of this, it seems that states are beginning to push back against the. the ever increasing encroachment of the federal government. Uh, the only silver lining of COVID in my mind is uh, states asserting their, their autonomy. Obviously you had Florida, mm. Texas, places like South Dakota, Wyoming, stepping up Nashville, Kentucky, or excuse me, Tennessee, Kentucky, stepping up to um, ensure freedom lovers that they would uh, at least attempt to, preserve their freedoms. Um, I do think there's going to be a balkanization. Um, I don't, as a, in, in the federal context, no, we don't live in a free country at all. Um, in fact, it's turning into Soviet Russia. Uh, I've been warned by people who grew up in Soviet Russia and I had to live through that. They're, they're uh, descri- describing, uh, they're not describing, they're, they're saying what's happening here now is, is, what happened to them uh, when they had communism come um, to their to their part neck of the woods? Uh, we do have that happening here in the U.S., but uh, again, another uh, caveat to that is I do think the spirit of freedom is alive and well in a lot of Americans. Uh, not a majority, but uh, at least a intolerant minority. I think Bitcoiners um, attract. That, that intolerant minority and the freedom loving crew. Um, and I, I have hope that we will, freedom will prevail at the end of the day and Bitcoin will be a strong tool at ensuring that. Um, but no, things are pretty fucked if you look around um, <laughs> right now here in the United States uh, and globally. Um, yeah, freedom is, is, is rare these days. Um, freedom, freedom is the army showing up to take you to your covid uh quarantine camp in australia that's freedom yeah if you if you were within like 60 yards of somebody who tested positive with uh, a test that probably isn't that reliable um 
yeah, I mean, it could come to the U.S. too if people don't push back. That's the one thing too. Again, I think the spirit of freedom is alive in many Americans today. Uh, this is why I think um, you're seeing a lot of disruptions in the uh, the airline industry. Uh, they're saying it's bad weather, but it's obviously uh, yeah, it's pilots telling the fuck off. Yeah, standing up and saying no, I don't want this. Um, there does seem to be, thank God, uh, a rebellious tilt to a lot of Americans still um, refusing to, to cave to the vaccine mandates, which is good to see. Um, again, whether I don't care whether you take the vaccine or not, um, you should not be mandating it on people. Um, Couldn't agree more. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, here, here. Well, Marty, um, thank you for I'm your sorry, time. That was depressing. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> about the future. Optimistic I think just objectively freedom. No, we are not free. And we have this uh, cool little technology called Bitcoin, Marty. And I, I do truly, I truly believe that I think, I think this protocol may have the chops to incentivize the uh, spirit of freedom to continue to proliferate. At least that's the, uh, the Dan glass half full perspective. Um, I think I would feel differently without this uh, network in existence. Yeah, it's a shining glimmer of hope. That's for sure. Well, it's it's becoming a it's not even a glimmer anymore. It's becoming a, a fucking steady stream, a strong, a strong bolt of light, if you will. We're gonna win, boys. We're gonna win. Yeah. I know there is a giant kraken uh, of the deep that roams every day, and if you are a sea fearing individual, you need to uh, batten down your hatches because it's coming for you. Yeah, this thing ain't no joke, Marty. This is a privilege, an honor for both of us. We uh, we appreciate your generosity with your time. We're excited about what you're up to. We look forward to uh, years more of uh, tales, and um, we wish we'll you be all joining the best. you in Texas when they uh, when they start building the internment camps up here. I'm I'm bailing, man. <laughs> oh, hey. You, know, you want to get out before they start building the internment. As camp, soon so. as they break ground, man, I'm out. <laughs> it's happening. Well, Josh and Dan, the pleasure was all mine. Thank you guys for doing what you do um, and, and spreading the word. The more people spreading uh, the good Bitcoin word, the better. We need as many people as possible. Again, we live in interesting times and it's imperative to to push Bitcoin forward if we want to live in a, in a free world uh, in the future. Well said. Thanks Amen. again, man. Thank you. Thanks for listening into the show. If you enjoyed this discussion, be sure to subscribe on whatever app you're using for podcasts. And if you have an extra minute, go ahead and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter. We're at blue underscore collar BTC. We invite questions, comments, and inquiries of any kind. And our email is bluecollarbitcoinpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to you joining us next time on the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast.